welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. I have the honour of speaking with you today. And uh, I was given that honour late in the game. <laughs> and that's okay. Because <laughs> it means, I said to Lee, I've got nothing to talk about, which is great. Because Holy Spirit will have to do something. So, buckle up. Because here we go. We've been talking, our theme this year is Sent Ones. We've been talking about that. We know that um, Jesus sent us, you're sent, I'm sent, we're all sent. That is our foundational uh, starting point that we're going to jump from today. I'm not going to go into convincing you that you're sent through the Bible because we've already done that. So we're going to start there. Jesus sent us to share good news. We get to partner in that with him. Thank you, Ainsley. So today, what I want to explore is one of the most common barriers to you taking action in your identity as a sent one. And that is the word, or actually, thoughts of being inadequate. And the definition of inadequate is insufficient for a purpose. So I won't ask you to put your hands up, but who in here has ever felt inadequate? (laughs) Right, so we're going to talk about that today and what that looks like. I'm going to go through a few Bible hero examples who felt inadequate at various times. I'm going to start with Jeremiah. So if you have your Bible or your phone Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 4, which says, from the New King James... Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So this is a verse where God is reminding Jeremiah of his identity. He's saying, I created you. I gave you purpose. I have sent you. That's who you are. And Jeremiah responds and says, in this version, Ah, Lord God! exclamation mark. Behold, I cannot speak, for I am too young. I think it was God who told him that he was going to speak to the nations, and I feel like God might have had the authority on whether he was equipped to speak to the nations, whether he was too young, whether he had anything to say. But Jeremiah is expressing to God his concern over this idea. Just fair enough, you can express your concerns to God and I'm sure he'll tell you the truth again. So the Lord said to Jeremiah, do not say, I am too young, for you shall go to whom I send you. And whatever I command you to do, you will speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. So God instructs Jeremiah to go and he puts the words in his mouth. What God does when he tells us to go is he equips us. He doesn't expect you to do this in your own strength. He gives you the words. This is Old Testament. So what we have now in our new covenant is Holy Spirit indwelling in us. So Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the words to speak. You don't have to have a polished salvation message to talk to somebody about who Jesus is. It might be a good tool to have in your belt. You could work on it, but you don't have to have an eloquent speech. What you need is a relationship with Jesus and a willingness to take a step of obedience. So that's Jeremiah. We've struck off the the list, too young. Baby Christian, that's another one of those. I don't know enough. 
haven't been here long enough, don't know enough. Go and pray for this person that they get healed. Don't know a healing scripture, can't quote one, doesn't matter. I I do know healing scriptures, (laughs) I am qualified. (laughs) But what you need to know is that Jesus heals, he wants that person well, he told you to go and pray for them, and all you have to say is sickness, go, because we have authority. You don't need to quote scripture, you don't need to know that. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, it's through relationship. You know who Jesus is, you have a story, you have experience, share it. It's Jeremiah. Now we're going to talk about Gideon, who's actually one of my favourite um, Bible characters. And I'm not sure I really know why, because <laughs> it's a bit obscure, you know, like Eli quite liked Daniel in the lion's den, you know, the stories that, that sound grand. And, and, and Gideon in Judges chapter 6 um, is hiding at the time. So I'm not sure why his, appeals, why his story appeals to me. But the children of Israel, this is Judges 6, verse 1. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midians for seven years. And in their, their hand prevailed against Israel. Because of them, the children of Israel made themselves dens and caves and strongholds in the mountains. So we're talking about the children of Israel who are God's um, chosen people who have been promised a promised land, flowing with milk and honey, and instead they're hiding and living in caves. That's not really who God called them to be. And Gideon, in this particular story, Gideon is in a wine press and he's threshing wheat. In a wine press... He is threshing wheat. A wine press is for pressing grapes. When you thresh wheat, not that I'm a farmer, you need the air to blow the junk away because the seed, I don't know, Nolene's nodding, she's a farmer, she knows. (laughs) He's in the wrong place doing this job. And the reason that he's doing it in the wrong place is because he's hiding. He doesn't want to be found because the Midianites have been coming into the land, stealing everything, destroying their crops, taking it all, plundering, killing. So Gideon is not walking in his identity and he is hiding in the wine press, surviving, trying to scratch together something to eat. And that is when the angel of the Lord appears to him in verse 12 and says... This is so my favourite. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valour. Hiding in the wine press, trying to get some food, hoping not to be killed. And the angel of the Lord says, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valour. And Gideon says, Oh my Lord. If the Lord is with us, why is this happening? Why am I here right now? Where are all the miracles which he promised, which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said... So, so Gideon, pause, Gideon is hiding, trying to survive, is called a mighty man of valour... And the angel of the Lord, and then he says to the angel of the Lord in response to that, Well, what the heck's going on? Where are you? And the Lord's response to him is, 
go in this might of yours. What might? He's hiding. He's just spelt out the circumstances of the situation. Go in this might that you have, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? Right about now, I don't know what Gideon's thinking. I know what I would be thinking. And I often share my thoughts with God because he's got broad shoulders and he can handle it. So I ask questions. Like, what are you talking about? Preach on Sunday. It's Friday night. No way. I'm not doing that. Isn't there someone more spiritual who could do that? Where's Mitch? <laughs> I may have said, where's Mitch? Mitch was on holidays, by the way, and has come back to... Uh, be part of this team. So thanks, Mitch, for that. And thanks, Jill, for the sacrifice you've made for our church. So Gideon's having thoughts. Um, He's not sure what the Lord's talking about. And he says in verse 15, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? He's now going to go through his qualifications, remind God about his qualifications. I'm the least in my father's house. My father's house is the least in the tribe. The tribe is the least in Israel. Look how Israel's doing, God. We're hiding in caves. Have you not got the memo? I am nobody and you think that I am going to go in this might that I have and save Israel? Are you kidding me? This is where Gideon's at with his thoughts, right? Now, there's a big, long, brilliant story here where he goes back and forth with the Lord over a period of time. And what happens in the end is Gideon chose obedience. He was, in his head, he's a little bit like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm the least likely candidate. You could choose that guy over there. He's going to do a better job than me. I'm the least likely candidate, but okay, give me a sign. God gives him a sign. Thanks for the sign, God. Could you just give me one more sign? Has anybody done that? Go and pray for that person. Go and talk to that person. Go and encourage that person. Oh, oh! look, they're leaving. Next time, God. And then what happens? They walk back. <laughs> so Gideon chose obedience. He chose to be willing to see God through God's eyes rather than his own. His natural circumstances were lowest ranking in the house of Israel and Israel's doing not crash hot. He has a low birth order, he has a lack of credentials and his current circumstances were super messy. And God still said, go in this might that you have and save Israel. God doesn't care about your circumstances. He doesn't care about your rank. He doesn't care about your education. He doesn't care about what you think is your lack. He has called you. He has called me. We are sent. And what happened in the end of this story, you can look at the whole big long story. It's awesome. God used Gideon with a group of 300 men to defeat an army of 135,000. A trained army, mind you, because God saw Gideon the way he had created him to be. And Gideon chose to be willing and obedient. Next person we're going to look at is Moses. Moses has a big, long history of being awesome. Lots of stuff in his life to look at. So we'll just look at a small part of it today. In Exodus chapter 3, 
starting in verse 7 and 8 from the New King James again. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good, large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So this is, um, this is a conversation that God is having with Moses. Moses is been raised in the, the house of the pharaoh, he is a prince, he has a bit of a disaster, he kills an Egyptian and he flees. And he goes, lives out the back of nowhere, becomes a shepherd, wanders about for years, still in connection with God. And God comes to him and he says to him, I've seen that my people are in slavery and I'm going to save them and I'm going to bring them into a good land. So that is good news, right? So Moses would be going, hey, that's awesome. I'm so, yay, what a great idea, God. And then in the next verse, or in verse 10, God says, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people out of Egypt. So Moses is there going, Hey, God, this is an awesome idea. I'm so pleased to hear you're going to save them. And then God says, I'm going to use you to do it. You hiding out the back of the desert, who's a shepherd, which was considered low in Egyptian culture. You're hiding out here. You're not living your identity. And you're the one I'm going to use to save. So, here's what Moses says about it. He says a few things. He has a few thoughts, a few inadequacy thoughts. Maybe you've thought these thoughts. The first one he thinks is, I'm a nobody. And maybe his circumstances look like that. But that's not who God created him to be. That's not the identity that God placed on him. So in verse 11, Moses says that to God. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out? Who am I? Why would you pick me? I'm out here looking after sheep, doing nothing. Not only that, I was in the house of Pharaoh, got relationship with those people over there. It's a bit broken at the moment. I killed someone. I left in disgrace. Still haven't dealt with that mess probably going to chuck me in jail. Who am I? I think there's someone more qualified, God. I think maybe go choose Aaron, his brother. Maybe go get someone else to do this, someone who's not a mess. So let me tell you this. Your past failure does not disqualify you from what God has for you. Your past failure does not disqualify you. Here's an example of Moses, and he had some past failures. And he was not disqualified from going to Pharaoh and speaking, being the sent one, and bringing the whole nation of Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery. David, King David, bit of a mess. Um, awesome man of God, described as the friend of God. Uh, great relationship with God. He committed adultery with one of his senior soldiers' wives. And then he plotted to have him killed to cover it up. Um, screwed all that up. He's still described as the friend of God. He still had victory in his life. His past didn't disqualify him. Peter, New Testament. Peter denied Jesus three times. 
just before he went to the cross. Denied him. I don't know that guy. Going over here. Don't know what's happening over there. I don't know that guy. That doesn't even disqualify you. That, to me, that's mind-blowing. Feels like Peter shouldn't have been given the mic after that. But he did. Doesn't change his identity. Doesn't change who God created him to be. There's no... You don't... Your past failures do not disqualify you. So set those aside, please. God responded to Moses and he said, I will be with you and I promise to bring you to worship on this mountain. So he says, I want you to go and I'm going to be with you. That's the promise that God gives us. He's going to be with us. Moses' second excuse, this is a good one. I've had a version of this in my life. No one will listen to me or believe me. So in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So what this looks like in my life is God saying, Go and say to this person you're in relationship with, maybe a school mum because that's my zone, Go and tell them God loves them. Tell them he can heal them of that. And the thought comes, what if they think I'm a bit of a loony? Because you see it on the news now. They say, you know, people say, I'm going to pray about this, pray about the drought, pray for healing. And the media crucifies them and says, oh, they think that prayer works. Yeah, we do, because it does. It's powerful and effective. So this is the thought that that Moses has. He's like, what if no one believes I spoke to you? And what God did in that situation, if you look in Exodus 4, is he said, I'll be with you and I'll give you signs. And he even demonstrated to Moses at the time what those signs would be. So he threw down his staff, snake, put his hand in his shirt. You can read it all. He demonstrated. He said, I'll go with you and I will back you up with signs. And miracles. The third excuse that Moses has is a really good one. He doesn't know what he would say. That's one that I feel is really relatable today for me. <laughs> and in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 and 12, 10 through 12, Moses says to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made your mouth? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. And the same applies for us today. We have Holy Spirit. He is our guide, and he fills our mouth with words. And when I was asked to speak today... So I've got nothing to talk about, which is awesome, because Holy Spirit will have to fill my mouth with words. We might think that we don't have an eloquent speech to give when we're sent somewhere to tell someone about Jesus, but all people really need to hear is your heart, your experience. If you're in relationship with Jesus, you've got something to say. 
If you're spending time with him, you've got something to say. And often, personal experience speaks much louder than head knowledge. So if you know Jesus, you've got something to say. My fourth, uh, the fourth excuse that Moses used is my, my very favourite. makes me feel really like I want to give Moses a hug. <laughs> it's in Exodus chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to read it from the Amplified because I love the Amplified and why use 10 words when you can use 174? <laughs> so, Moses said... So we've crossed off the first three excuses. All right, fine, you're going with me. You're going to fill my mouth with words. You're going to give me signs and wonders to prove who you are. All right, here's my last excuse, God. Please, my Lord, send the message of rescue to Israel by someone else, whoever else you would choose. Anybody else, God. Choose someone else. You want me to pray for that person? I'll pray for them over here. Just send Judy to pray for them live. Judy's good at praying. Please, Lord, send anybody else. Moses has run out of excuses. And his last one, which makes me want to hug him, is, can you just please send someone else? I'll pay my tithes and offerings. I'll worship. I'll read the Bible more. Please send somebody else. And at this point, um, in verse 14, it says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, which makes my heart go, oh, uh-oh. But what God does about it is he says, isn't Aaron your brother? He speaks really well, right? I get that you don't feel brave about this, so I'm going to send Aaron with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to give you signs and wonders. I'm going to put words in your mouth. But because you feel this way, you can say them to Aaron and Aaron will say them to Pharaoh. Because God loves us. He loves you. He is not setting you up for failure. So when we look at overcoming inadequacy... There's some common themes here, and one of them is our thought life. Thoughts are really important. In all of these examples, these guys were struggling with their thoughts about themselves, about their identity, who they were. And here's what I know about thoughts. Thoughts will come. Not all of them are actually your thoughts, so no need to get condemned about thinking stuff that's not in line with what God said. And not all of them are God's thoughts. But they're going to come. Here's some thoughts that have come to me in the last month. Who, me? I don't have the skills for that. Pray for them. Might be weird. They might think I'm really weird. Might feel uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. Isn't there someone more spiritual who could do this? So the good news about thoughts is it is not compulsory to come into agreement or to partner with every thought that you have. I'm going to say it again, and you should write it in your phone or get your pen out. It is not compulsory to come into agreement with or to partner with every thought that you have. 
Some of them need to go through to the keeper. And what are you supposed to do when thoughts come? How do you tell? What you do is you do a truth check against what God says. God has the, the ultimate authority on your identity and on your um, ability and on your adequacy for something he's called you to do. Not your age, not your past, not your mistakes, not your lack of education, not your lack of experience. God has the ultimate authority on who you are and what he's called you to do. So what you do with these thoughts is you check them against the word of God. What does God say about you? That's the first thing. The second thing, well, I'll just show you this. This is like one of seven pages. I, I googled identity in Christ. This is one of seven pages, okay? So if you don't know who you are, Google that. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You have access to God's grace. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're the image of God. You're the strongest when you're weakest. You're filled with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know the greatness of his power towards you. You are strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And you're a minister of reconciliation. I've read 10 off that page. There were seven pages. Go and figure out who you are. If you want a copy of that, come see me. Put this in your heart. So that it's there when the thought comes and you can just bat it away and go, nah, not true. It's not about me. This is about me. That thought, that's not from God and I don't partner with it. This is what God says about me. This is what God says about me being a sent one. This is what he says about what I've got to say. If you have persistent negative thoughts coming on one area, sometimes that happens. That's okay. Loop a trusted advisor in to your world and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Someone who has victory in their identity, right? I said, loop a trusted advisor in, not a friend. They might be a friend as well. But loop someone who you trust to be an advisor who has victory in this area. I have a small number of people that I go to when I'm struggling with something. And I shine a light on it because in my experience, telling someone that you're battling with something takes so much of its power away. It's not hidden anymore. So if you're struggling with something, go and tell someone, hey, this one's really tough for me. I'm not doing a good job at this. When you're isolated with thoughts that don't align with God's view, that is a dangerous place to be. Don't be isolated. There's people in this church who are here for you. So as we land this plane today... Here's the conclusion. Here's what I know about God. He's a good father. He doesn't set you up for failure. We are the sent ones. He wants us to partner with him in sharing the good news. He's going to fill your mouth with words. And the reason he wants you to partner in this is because he wants you to share in the joy of bringing heaven to earth. He wants you to share in that. He can do it without us. He's not going to because he loves you. And he wants you to share in the joy. So... Maybe today I've said something that struck a chord with you, some thoughts that you've had about yourself. Um, what I'm going to ask you to do is just pause for a moment and think about that, if any of this resonates with you, and we're going to pray. So I'll just ask you to close your eyes. Ask yourself, what's holding me back here? And then ask Holy Spirit, what's holding me back? What thoughts do I need to change? 
What do I need to partner with? I'm going to pray. Purpose in your heart that you're going to overcome anything that you may have identified that's holding you back. Father God, we know you're a good father and that you don't set us up for failure. We thank you for making room for us to participate with you in your plan as sent ones. Holy Spirit, highlight to us where we need to change our thinking, swap it out for yours. Prompt us to put your word in our hearts. Remind us who you think we are. Give us eyes to see ourselves the way that you do. Thank you for your promise of power. Thank you for your promise of giving us grace and ability beyond what we currently have to be representation of Jesus to those around us. We choose obedience. Highlight opportunities to us this week. Holy Spirit, prompt us and remind us and fill us with your words and power. In Jesus' name, amen.